So I will uh, kick off the evening with a little bit of update from the Graduate School of Business. We have some exciting things happening and a, a short kind of summary talk around some COVID trends that you may want to be aware of or your organizations should be aware of going forward. Then we have our special guest who's an alumni and a founder of his own organization, Stephen, who will have uh, follow me from there. We'll have an open Q&A, mostly for him, but if you have anything for me, we certainly can do that. And then as Connor mentioned in the intro, we will go in camera, not recording if anyone has anything of a personal nature or something they don't want recorded or shared to ask. And Stephen's open to that as well. Either of us will take you at that particular point in time. So quick update from uh, those of us here at the GSB. It is, and Connor can attest to this, a very, very busy time. And we had a very, very successful week last week with our first annual uh, Graduate School of Business Awards night. And I'll say a bit more about that in a second, but the feedback we're getting from people, it was really a resounding success after we'd hoped to do it in person, moved online, and we produced the video, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit in a second. We are hiring uh, a, another full-time person to help with MBA recruitment in Portland, where we've got a good set of candidates, and we're hoping to add he or she to the team uh, very, very shortly as we continue to grow um, our, our base in Portland. We have five new concentrations in the MBA. I'll show them shortly that are in the final stages of approval. We're very excited about and continue to grow. We're um, we're working with a, the, the University of Maine Systems Agency of Record known as Vision Point on a campaign for really positioning us and growing our, our brand and our presence largely out of state. And so that's happening. We're deep in listening. Some of you have probably been called or been involved in some of those feedback sessions. And we're very excited about that. And we have a really positive result from our US News ranking for the online MBA, which is under embargo and will be released uh, shortly. So they mentioned we had a very exciting uh, Thursday evening launch of our first annual Alumni Awards event. Uh, you can see it there. We're hoping this becomes a real staple of the MBA program. There is the link, just we wanted to have it for you in the, in the deck that will come around later. If you want to look at it, share it broadly, please do. Uh, you can see our four winners there. Connor, the producer, got a nice photo of him. He did an amazing job. And Taylor Bushi on our team was his, worked very closely with him to pull this together with a number of us, Jamie and Jackie, who a lot of you know from our office, and then a number of supports from uh, uh, across our, uh, our networks. The mayor of Portland was our keynote speaker. And we had talks from the chancellor of the university, uh, the provost of USM and UMaine, and, and a number of our partners being Maine Outdoor Brands, the CPA Society of Maine, and our executive advisory board of the business school all presented awards. And we have our four winners, who as you can see right there, it was a wonderful evening. We're moving. It's uh, the, the system finally approved the, uh, the investment of money required to renovate 304 Street. So for those of you that know Portland, it's right literally in the heart of the city and the old port right near the ocean, walking streets, it's gonna be wonderful. You know, Corona has kind of slowed a lot of things down and, and so we're not gonna be moving likely until the mid to late fall. Uh, so everything seems to be on schedule and renovations are starting in about a week's time. So we're very excited about that. And you'll notice a lot of nice imagery that Connor profiled in the awards video if you do watch it, coming from or outside and around that particular building, which was very, very well done. Uh, we've got we've now signed an agreement and we're working on the details of a dual MBA with a university in Kuala Lumpur that's a very, very interesting private university that's got a lot of growth in the Indonesian Malaysian market. They teach in English and we're working on that. Very excited about what that's going to mean for us in the future as well. 
Our numbers continue to be strong. We're about 400 strong right now. We're tracking uh, you know, a hair lower than that for next year, but that's normal this time of year. And as I mentioned, we're investing a lot in our marketing, different things. And the MBA program is doing exceptionally well and attracting uh, a very diverse and out-of-state group. I mentioned the different concentrations. You know the ones on the left there. The ones on the right are the new ones that are coming, which we're very excited about, pending final approvals. You see things like engineering management, blue economy, et cetera, that are really fit with Maine. We have very, very strong faculty, and there's high job needs across the country. Very, very excited about those as they roll forward. And we also offer a number of joint programs. So just so everyone remembers, we're a lot more than the MBA. Okay, well, there's a little quick intro. Now I'm going to attend a couple of minutes uh, reflecting on, on some post-COVID trends. And this really built out of a couple of things, Connor and I discussing, you know, what's really resonating um, with these, these huddles and what people kind of listen to. And we've done some special interest ones and some really tactical ones. And the tactical ones are getting much more pick up and play. So that was really where we started there. And then I did a keynote for the CPA Society of Maine in early December on this kind of topic, and it was well-received. So we thought we'd build it out a little bit more and quickly just go through some things that a lot of you might be aware of, but maybe aren't thinking about that are really happening as we, we kind of say post-COVID, but this thing's dragging on. But when we come out of this, what's changed in the world? What do we want to look about? What have we learned? And some pretty interesting things. And so we're going to rock through these and happy to take questions on them or share stuff later as we kind of go forward. And the first here is around new talent. And I've been blown away. And part of you know being a new dean, I'm now seven months on the job. I've just been meeting and meeting people in the Portland business community. And anyone you talk to in most industries with skilled staff, they're really struggling to recruit. We're hearing numbers like salary requirements are 10, 15, 20% higher than they were in 2019. Really, really almost impossible to get people like computer engineers or accountants with experience or financial analysts, or they're very, very expensive. And then if you get them, bigger players are hiring them away or, or cities with more resources. People can now live where they want. And you probably have seen these numbers, but it's really mind boggling. And this is just what happened in the month of November, which was released in December by the Bureau of Labor. And that's, oh, sorry, the little thing there, but that's the, uh, the four and a half million Americans quit their job without retiring. These are people that have just opted to do different things. They want a different lifestyle. Only one person needs to work. They're going to move to a different area. There's 10 million. It's been that way since the early in the pandemic, 10 million open jobs. And that's with 7 million people getting hired in the month of November. So just an economy that we've never even imagined before. My field of sport management, which was like, you're lucky to get a job with the Boston Red Sox or the, the US Olympic Committee or whoever, they're having trouble getting people to, to work with talent because just nobody wants those lifestyles, nobody wants to run other people, the flexibility. It's a very interesting time that we need to be aware of. What about those people you already have? So I've talked to a lot of these CEOs and groups about this as well. This is really cherishing the talent that you have. How do you retain them? How do you keep them? How do you prevent them from retiring early? What are people interested in? And a lot of us, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, a lot of us are boomers that are in these kind of positions and and even older millennials have a hard time relating to younger millennials and these Gen Zers who are really not, money's not the big driver. That's been a real 
powerful learning for a lot of us older people in the current environment. People want a flexible lifestyle. They want to live somewhere different. They want to be able to have a hybrid work environment. They don't want to just go in at a certain period of time. They're willing to take pay cuts to do other things. It's a really, really challenging time. So if you've got talent that's there, really you need to cherish them, make sure they're happy and keep them. Because as you saw in the first one, it's very, very hard to replace. The digital economy, we could go on and on about this, and this is a very quick summary of just an extraordinary shift that's happening out there, right? And it's it's very scary for small businesses when this is going to come back and your, you know, your mom and pop shops in terms of restaurants and hardware, et cetera. I mean, it's an Amazon world, it's a Walmart world, and it's a it's a digital world. We don't want to spend time grocery shopping. We don't, we've learned, we've really changed as consumers how we do things. And these things are exploding, like cybersecurity has become a big issue. We all now are trusting and sharing information, data and analytics, like a lot of you know are out there. And so this real shift from uh, how do we do things and is, is it going to come digital to like it's been accelerated. So what most people thought was going to take a decade is now likely happening in about three years, pending what COVID does. So really embracing that is very, very important. There is, of course, a silver lining to this. And we got little tastes of it right before Omicron came along. There is a massive pent up demand to do stuff again and to spend and to invest and to enjoy life. And once that comes and you're seeing it in little pockets here and there, we watched the NFL games today. Some of you probably the Olympics are coming up and there'll be nobody in those stands, but there's this real interest driver. And one of the neat things that I was just reading about is that the cruise line industry, which is, you know, was hardest hit in COVID of anyone and is delayed again is basically sold out for 2023. So it's really interesting dynamics. So be ready for when that happens, if it happens, whether it's an end of the pandemic or us figuring out how to live with it, it's going to be very positive for us all. So one of these interesting things that have talked, and I'm going to use my background in sports, but this is really anything around cyber currencies and the way money kind of works. And this is a bit scary for any of us that are, I'm an accountant too, that have these kind of backgrounds, is this shifting to these things that aren't, like you don't have it as money anymore. And and these and the idea of the non-fungible token. So like there's a, a this play on the right here was purchased by an individual. So someone owns the video of a LeBron James dunk over a seven foot tall center, and they've purchased that for hundreds. Of, what does that mean? How is that worth anything? And we're all struggling with this, but it's going to this place where unique digital content will have real value, and that then permeates through all the things we do. So if you think about something that's unique, right? That's not replaceable something that's got a digital kind of platform that can be easily shared, that's going to have a lot of value down the road. And a lot, and a lot of us are, you know, so you always say, I invest in real estate, I invest in stocks. What does this mean for all these things we kind of look at? So be ready for that as it kind of goes forward. Diversity, and I'm going to talk the next couple about these kind of particular issues. And, and obviously, there's so much going on with social justice and all these things. But just from a business perspective, the pure demographics, regardless of of views and issues and all those things. If you just look at it from a pure demographic perspective, 2015 was the first year in the history of the United States that more babies were born who were not non-Hispanic white. What does that mean the country looks like in 10, 15, 20 years? Quite a shift to be ready for culturally from an organizational perspective. There's this big and really interesting age diversity gap. So in addition to those, you know, the more traditional residents, and more modern, if you will, or, or the newer demographics coming through, whatever, however you want to describe those, 
they're also have a big age cohort. So you've got this huge proportion of people who go older. And I'm sure like some of you, I get a lot of chances to come speak at, at uh, like local chambers of commerce, commerce or retired business groups. And you go in and often I'll present to 300 white men, right? So you think men that were in business that are over 70 in our country, they're almost all white, a few exceptions. You shift that to a younger cohort, very different. How do these people vote? What are their views on different plebiscite issues, financial issues? Really interesting thing to kind of be aware of. The other thing we kind of learned in the pandemic was it's gotten better, but the, a, a glass ceiling really does exist still for our in the female business world. And you can see there how things have gotten better, but it's a little less. But one of the, the next one is probably the more powerful one. And this is this desire for this balance that we talked a little about earlier, this massive shift to a flexible work environment and place we want to be where people want flexibility, they want to work when you want, you, money's less important. That's the strongest. And you can view this in a pro or a con or neutral way, however you like, depending who you are, is moms. And so the data is so powerful of those that are exiting or slowing down their career or turning down that promotion or moving to a less upwardly mobile job, the largest proportion are females with children, so moms. And so there are men with children who are being impacted. There are certainly single people that are going in this direction, but the largest proportion fit that group. So again, if, as, as, if from a business, what does that mean? How do we kind of drive that forward? And the last thing I'll talk about, and you can probably put a hundred things on this list, but there's a, a real shift in consumer priorities. And we've changed this kind of before. And I mean, I, I was one like many where you talk about globalization and da, da, da. there's been this huge shift to localization. One of the fields I work in is sponsorship. And the studies in COVID was brands, big brands pivoted their investments from national and international properties and activations around them to things that reach people at the local level. So when it's maybe the frontline workers, it may be something related to social justice, people supporting local business or local, it's been this real interesting shift. So this whole idea of localization. The number two, and this is a term you've probably all heard it, I really like it, is the idea of presence-free living. And so this, this thing is you live, but you don't have to be in a certain area. And this was coming for like, I think of my daughter who's 18, we're coming in this kind of environment anyways, but now it's kind of everybody. Like you can live, Connor and I, we work together all the time, but rarely in the same room, right? Film this beautiful video, barely in the same room. Organizations are functioning at home. They're shutting down their corporate real estate. But what is this kind of presence-free living that people want? Maybe not all the time, but in a lot of contexts, they really want. And then the last thing, and there's a bunch of trends under this that I just wanted to put out there, is this idea of privacy has really lessened. So think back a few years and how careful we would be about our online personas and our banking information. Now, I mean, heck, I just bought a house online. I bought two cars online when I moved to a different country. All these kinds of things can happen completely digitally that couldn't happen before. So there's this real trust in cybersecurity and stuff we talked about before. And the, the, the idea of ease and access and, and has overtaken from a lot of people the notion of privacy. So there's a really, those are just some three examples of trends going forward. So with that, that's kind of what I wanted to share to get us going. And you certainly know um, who I am and that's 10 hopefully interesting things you'll find and can be aware of whether you're, and you're, most of you are working, so you're in these environments and there's lots going on, but really stay on top of it and really realize that these are not things that are going back, right? 
So the smart entrepreneur, the smart business leader, the smart business professional understands that these are trends that are going to continue and likely were anyways. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Stephen Merrill, who's an alum who I've gotten to know recently, like many of you on the job. He was wonderfully reached out to us. He, we, I said, hey, do you want to be a guest speaker on our huddle? He said, yes. And uh, we're really excited to have him. He's also the founder, I'll let him talk about it, of his own organization, doing really cool things. So Stephen, without further ado, I will pass the floor to you. Thank you very much, Norm. I really appreciate that. And I'm really honored and excited to be here with all of you this afternoon, this evening. Um, as Norm had said, my name is Stephen Merrill. I am an alum, both my wife and I, from the University of Maine. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to you really today about purpose and finding purpose post-pandemic. So, you know, about six months before the pandemic, uh, my wife and I were in a, a pivotal time in our life. And I was working the corporate field. I was managing a team of 20 internal team members. I was consulting with over 350 business owners every single day. And at the same time, uh, you know, I'm from New England. We had moved down to Miami, Florida, and my father was passing away. Found out my wife was pregnant. And at the same time, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And we had just actually started our own company called Purpose. And so what I want to talk about today is, again, understanding the differences of really what it means to live a life on purpose. And I'm going to go ahead and walk us through what we work with. And it's really the first step that we all take with our clients. So we're working with NFL athletes to corporations, their leadership teams and employees. And really, our entire goal is to help everyone understand all right, what is your purpose on the personal side? You know, who are you? Where are you? Where do you want to go in your life? And how does that translate professionally? Because as we've been speaking about today, you know, we're in the middle of the great resignation. 85% of team members are burnt out. 80% would leave their job tomorrow if they were simply paid more. So at purpose, it's really become our duty to serve those who are serving so many others every single day. And so we're going to dive into it right here. And again, Picture kind of in that pivotal time of your life, you might be there right now, you may know other people, you might be seeing your company going through a transition. And there are two key questions that I would like to ask you today. I had to ask myself these, and I want you to think about, okay, who else needs to hear this on my personal side and professionally? So the two key questions are, okay, who are you? And again, my father was passing away, my wife was pregnant, I was about to become a father, I was a business owner, and I had to get really clear on Steve. Who are you? What are you doing in this life? And then on the other side, it's the overall question of, well, where are you? And we're going to dive into that. And I'll tell you why I've gotten laughed at by CEOs asking them that specific question throughout the pandemic. But we'll get there first. So the first thing I want you to think about, and I want you to ask yourself right now, and I had to ask myself this is, well, what are you good at? And when we're talking about finding our purpose. This is not, this is not going to just be rainbows. This is not going to be fluff. I want you to understand, well, what am I really good at? In my life, and, and a few examples of this, we've all either been in a classroom uh, or we've all been on a sports team where there are people around us that were naturally talented at that, right? We have people who are just naturally gifted in accounting or naturally gifted. I played lacrosse at the University of Maine, naturally gifted in lacrosse. But there's a big difference depending upon what we are good at and what we actually enjoy in our life. And believe it or not, when I'm speaking with CEOs, with leaders who have massive teams, when I say, Joanne, what do you really enjoy in your life? I usually get blank stares. They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm really good at you know, leadership or accounting or taking care of my team. And I'm like, I respect that, but that's what you're good at. What do you enjoy? What is that internal fire in you? When was the last time you did something that got you up early in the morning because you wanted to, kept you up late at night because you were so excited upon this thing? So I'm going to ask you the same thing. Okay, what are you good at? And then what do you enjoy in your life, right? Now, the third question that we're going to go over is right here. 
And that is really understanding what our goals are. Now, we do not have enough time to understand how to break down our goals specifically, both for the short term, so the next one to 12 months, and the long range, the next one to 10 years. We hold seminars where this alone takes about three and a half hours. So I will not bore you with that now, but I want you to think about, okay, when I'm getting clear on what I'm good at, and I really understand what I enjoy, well, what, do I, what are my goals in this, you know, in my professional life? What am I doing all of this for? And I'm going to be probably the only person that's going to ask you to be selfish about your personal happiness. And what that means is taking ownership for, okay, how do I want to grow in my life, in this company, in my family? What are we doing? And what are our specific goals? Now, the next question I have to ask myself, tying right aligned with what my goals were, is what do I want? Again, if we're going to be selfish about our personal happiness, and you can blame me, if anybody says, hey, Norm, Connor, John, you're sounding selfish, blame Steve from purpose, because I want you to get clear on what you really want in your life. Again, this is not about uh, you know just surface level. I want you to understand, okay, what do I really want out of this? In my personal life, in my marriage, potentially, in my family, in my personal relationship with myself, what do I want out of that? In my health, my fitness, my finances, my growth, what do I want? In my company, if I'm the CEO, if I'm the newest employee, what type of change do I want to be the catalyst for here? You know, you can take that question and apply it to any area of your life. And so I'm going quickly for the sake of time to be respectful of your time, but I want you to start thinking about, okay, who am I? What am I good at? What do I enjoy? What are those goals? And then what do I really want? Is this making sense so far? Okay, great. Now, the second question that I had to ask myself, and I told you guys, I've been getting laughed at throughout this pandemic asking this, and it'll make sense. But the, really, the overall question is, where are you? And the reason I've gotten laughed at is when I'm speaking with the CEO of a company, I say, okay, well, John, where are you right now? They're like, Steve, I'm in my living room. You can see it through my Zoom call. I'm right here. I'm in the dining room. That's not what I mean. So I'd like you to write down or just take a note of these two words, internal and external. What this means is what are and where are our internal limitations and where are our external limitations? Now, I'm going to walk us through these really briefly. So an internal limitation, this is anything that we have been believing and telling ourselves time and time again. We've all heard of the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. These things are not made up. These are neurologically proven. There's a bunch of neuroscience to back it, obviously, as we all know. So internal limitations are, if I'm telling myself, Steve, you've never been a father before, you're not going to be able to do that successfully. You've, you've run a few businesses, but why are you going to help people find their purpose? If I'm telling myself these things on a constant track in the subconscious, well, that's what I'm going to believe, right? We all know if you think you can, you think you can't, you're right, right? The questions that we ask are the direct proportional outcome of our life. So if I'm telling myself every day, man, you're not going to be that successful, man, you're not going to have that happy of a marriage, or why would you be that fulfilled in your life? Those are all internal limitations that I'm telling myself and I'm believing, which will only hold me back. So I'd like you to think about, okay, maybe what am I saying and believing on autopilot every single day internally that's holding me back? Now, on the other side of that, our external limitations are quite literally from those things that are outside of us. So this could be, believe it or not, a spouse. This could be a family member. This could be a friend. This could be a colleague. This could be us blaming the economy. I heard a lot of people saying, hey, you know what? 2020 just wasn't my year. Well, I understand that. I respect that. It was hard for everyone, but that's now an external limitation that you're using as a crutch from you not getting to where you actually want to go, from living that purpose-driven life. So I'd like you to take some time, either now or after this meeting, and really think about, okay, what am I kind of pointing a finger at to say, well, I'm not where I want to be in my life because of X, Y, or Z. So when we get clear on our internal and external limitations, what we've just done is given you back the control that you need to really grow in a purpose-driven sense. Is this clicking so far? Perfect. So now, 
That next question, we just touched upon it, is control. So companies that we've been working with as we've gone through this pandemic, the key difference between those who have been successful and continue to grow and those who have slowed down and sometimes even had really tough internal decisions to make was what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on everything every single morning that is in the news, that's the headline, that is there to kind of scare us and detract us and pull us back, everything that's out of our control, that's what's happening with the mentality of those companies. And even on a personal side of people who have been just living with angst and sometimes depression and just, you know, all matters that they feel like, man, my whole day, my week, my month, my year is out of my control because we're giving it over to others. Now there are certain circumstances where there's other situations happening there, but for the most part, we're giving our control to anyone else. So we want to think about is, okay, in my life, what can I control? And I'm going to do the best that I can to detach from everything else. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to put myself in a corner and not talk to anyone or interact, but that's quite literally saying, well, what is in my control? The first thing every single morning is happening right here. Our thoughts, our focus. The majority of people are waking up to an alarm on their phone and they're going straight to social media. First thing in the morning, they're giving that control over, right? They're seeing how many likes they've gotten. They're seeing what's in the news. So that control, that, that self you know, control is all given over. So I want you to think about, okay, what can I control? What do I get to control in my life personally and professionally? This is not micromanagement. This is just to give yourself that power back. Now, that last question is really important. And this is, what do you get to change in your life? Not what do you have to change? Again, I'm not a life coach. I'm not here to tell you, hey, guys, let's set a bunch of New Year's resolutions. Let's just write a bunch of things down and feel really excited about them. And you have to go change these things. Absolutely not. This is you looking inside yourself saying, okay, What's going to excite me? What do I get to change? Is it you know specific weight loss goals? Is it specific financial gain goals? Is it specific investment goals you have? Is it specific leadership goals, growth goals you have within your company? Well, what do you get to change? Because once you're clear on those, again, that's why we start off saying, who are you? And then translating it to where are you? Once you're clear on what you really want in your life and what you get to change, well, then you're starting to build your blueprint for growth. It's no longer just words. It's no longer just, you know, emotions. And we're talking about momentum. This is now a plan that we have. So I want you to think about, okay, what do I get to change in my life? Do I need to be more clear in my communication? Do I need to be more honest with myself and with others around me? Because when you start to answer these questions, everything starts to fall in line. So again, I know I had to go through this briefly with you, but I hope this is making sense. And this is really the first steps to finding your purpose, asking yourself, okay, who am I? What am I good at? What do I really enjoy? What gets me fired up? What are some of these goals that I have? What do I want in my life? And then on the other side, internally and externally, where am I, right? What are the limitations that I've been accepting, maybe even placing on myself? And on the external side, what have I been kind of pointing the blame at? Now on the other side, what's in my control? I'm going to try to delegate everything else and detach from what's not. And then what do I get to change in my life? So if you'd like me to send this to you, again, we'll speak with Norma Connor about providing you this resource, but this is an entire two-page sheet that goes even more in depth with this that really is here to benefit you. And just to get some of these ideas out of your head and onto paper. And these are, again, the first two questions I had to ask myself, much easier said than done to answer all of them, which is why this takes time. And we provide this to every single person we work with. So hope that this was beneficial to you. Again, I'll be here for any questions and answers a little bit later on. But Norm, I'm going to pass it back over to you. Thank you guys so much for your time and attention. Thank you, uh, Stephen. That was great. And uh, I know we have to go through our things very, very quickly and a lot of good stuff. But I think at this stage, for anyone that's here, we would certainly open it up to any questions you have for Stephen or myself. Uh, and then if there's anyone that has things that they want to talk about um, that are more personal in nature, you don't want recorded, we will do that 
following. I don't Connor, if there's anything else. Yeah, I can, uh, I'll lead off because I did get a question in my DMs. Uh, so I'll, I'll lead off. That way, if people have questions they want to think about, they can ask after. But Norm, this is in regards to one of your first slides. Um, I believe in, in regards to the new jobs and the job openings. Um, you know, you mentioned 7.1 million new jobs, 10.6 million job openings. Do you know if this is related to new, uh, you know, work from home jobs or non-work from home jobs uh, and those markets? Um, sort of where those jobs are opening up. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and I mean, I looked, you know, pretty high level at the data, but what really struck me was it's not all just STEM kind of jobs. It's not like, oh, wow, we have a shortage of 10 million engineers that have computer training or, you know, nurses. And there's this mix of those highly skilled positions, which are very challenging, but there's also this mix, this just general you know, some levels of training, but just what you might consider an entry-level job or a, a, a job that you might have one credential, you know, college training or some kind of apprenticeship or an on-the-job training position. And you're seeing places like, uh, you know, old age homes, for instance, or retirement homes offering $3,000 signing bonuses and $25 an hour for security guards, or for people to just, you know, be there, not that are trained nurses or anything like that. And so there's this real interesting mix that we haven't seen before. I mentioned the tourism organization, hotels are struggling to find people. Dunkin' Donuts is struggling to find people. You've probably all been like me, you're driving along at 10 o'clock at night and you pull into a coffee shop, you usually do, and little sign that I saw, you don't have any staff, we're closed tonight. It's like, wow, that's weird. And so it's like, there's this really interesting across the board um, dichotomy. And then one of the, the anecdotes that I've heard is electricians. And so electricians have historically, certainly in this, in New England, have been paid relatively low compared to other parts of the country. And they're all of a sudden opting not to work. And some entry-level electricians are going, taking jobs in retail or taking jobs in manufacturing where they get that $3,000 signing bonus. And for a lot of people in a lot of, you know, walks of life, $3,000 signing bonus right now is awfully good. And so you think about some of those situations that are that are there. So it's really across the board and it's quite a mix. And then what's also happening with those that are exiting, they tend to be people that are, aren't in their 20s, but they're not, not in their 30s and 40s and early 50s. And they've decided, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not really wanting to do this anymore. I'm working too hard. I don't really like it. My wife makes lots of money or whatever. We're going to move to a cheaper place to live or I can consult a little bit or, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take one of these part-time jobs and pick this up. So it's a really, it's completely different than anything we've ever seen before. And so depending what your industry is, you want to look at that, that data pretty closely when you're thinking about both retention and recruitment of, of talent. I have one too, if I can jump in before sure. anybody else. And just for Steven, and, and I think you kind of preempted this there. And I mean, what you're talking about, I think is very interested in, and probably made us all kind of reflect a little bit about, you know, why we're doing this. And it probably fits pretty nicely, which was our plan with kind of the trend topics. But how do you respond to that challenge that you said, you know, that where you are kind of question, which makes us all think when, we're in this kind of non-presence environment and future. So it's really different. Like a lot of people say, well, hey, I want to I want to work on the West Coast. Or I like to travel the world or I like to work in Europe. And all of a sudden you can work in Europe from your screen. So how do you kind of answer that from kind of a positivity career development perspective? 
Yeah, that's a really great, great question. One that we actually have conversations with almost every single day. So when we're speaking in general of, okay, well, where are you? So we spoke about the internal and external limitations. What can you control? What can you change? We really start off with asking just a few more specific questions. And one of them is, okay, great. So you wanted to you know, move to Europe and, and do this or that. And now you're doing all these things, but you might still feel kind of detached. Typically, it comes down to one of two things. The first is the quality of the questions that we're asking ourselves or the conversations we're having with ourselves. Because again, so many people are zoomed in, but they're checked out, meaning I'm here, I'm speaking with you all, but I'm mentally somewhere else. So a lot of times that being somewhere else is not on positive, uplifting, motivational, not in a rah-rah sense, but more concrete pillars that are going to help me move forward. It's typically on, well, I still have this bill to pay, or I still haven't seen the growth that I wanted to in this company. So what am I doing here? So that's the first question is, well, what are you really focusing on? What are the internal questions that you're having? And the second is, well, what are you doing this for? First of all, and how does your personal purpose, and sometimes they don't know what the personal purpose is yet, which is fine, but really, what is that why? What is that purpose? What is your reason for being with this company? And that is typically where that alignment comes in. Because again, when we're working with leadership teams or employees or team members of companies, if there's not alignment of, okay, this is Steve, I, I know why I'm, I'm why I'm doing this, what I'm passionate about in this company's mission statement or what we create their purposeful proclamation, it aligns with me. There's going to be much more loyalty, much more engagement, much more really fervor for the business and the growth. And I have such a passion for what we're doing here. That's a much easier conversation to help them just kind of get realigned with, okay, great. Remember, there's going to be ups and downs, left and right, just like we see in the stock market. You're going to have great days followed by maybe a tough client conversation or anything of that matter. But when you come back to understanding what you real purposes in doing this, everything gets more aligned, which makes your steps through this process much more efficient. So when someone doesn't, and they're feeling that burnout, they're feeling that overwhelm, it's really okay. Let's cool the jets a little bit. Let's not come in and try to push you hard for all these answers now. Let's just get you thinking about, okay, well, what was the last thing you did that really got you excited? When was the last time you were just feeling so aligned and so just kind of effortless, if that makes sense, in what you're doing? When you start talking about that, usually it's that personal passion that comes out. And when you can tie that back into what they're doing professionally, things get back aligned. However, it's not always just a, a great puzzle piece fit. And sometimes people recognize, you know what, where am I right now? I'm not where I want to be. So then it's about, okay, well, how do we create that bridge to where you do want to go? And that's when it comes back to the first side. Well, okay, who are you? What do you really care about? What are your passions? What are your values? What are your pillars that you live by and truly stand by? And how can we align you with what you want to do professionally in that? So let me know if that helps kind of answer that question. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Great, Norm. I just DM'd you a question uh, from, from Jordan in our, in our audience, uh, sort of about that idea of, you know, where he's at working from home and maybe asking that question, maybe Steven, this is for you too. You guys can both jump in on this, but is this maybe the time to be making a uh, transition from maybe your manager now to maybe jumping into more of an entrepreneurial sense, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe there's so many jobs opening in the manager space that, you know, maybe that's where you should be going. Yeah, I can go first if you want, Jordan. I was always a great question. I think a couple of initial thoughts would be one, it kind of depends on the stage of your career you're at, right? I think it, someone like yourself, and I've gotten to know you pretty well, you would be well suited for that, right? You've got the network, you're probably in a financial situation, I'm assuming, where you know you can afford to take a little bit of risk, you know people to be able to function in the digital world. I think for the, the traditional entrepreneur, I tried this in my 20s, I'm sure you did, 
new companies, they all failed, but I learned a lot, right? Trying to do that. That's really hard now. It was hard then, but I think it's even harder because how do you connect to those real decision makers, which you could find ways to do before? It's really, it's getting trickier. And they've put, first of all, you have all those kind of traditional barriers to reach real decision makers, but now you've also got the health barriers to reach you know, real decision makers around COVID. And they tend to be people that are older and maybe aren't as interested in being out there anymore. And so this kind of this presence that we're all talking about would be one thought. I think the second thought would be, if you think about, take the person out of it, think, well, what is the venture? And you know better than I do. You know, it's gotta be a great product. You have to have the right people. You have to have the right market, all those kind of things. Well, there are certain areas that are just exploding. And there's lots of examples out there of, of organizations that have done really, really well. I've met a couple in um, in Portland, in areas I'm kind of meeting people around here that are just you know out of control. And these are organizations like in biomedical that they had a little piece of something to do with COVID testing and how long they last. And you have another organization that was involved in environmental sustainability, looking at testing of different types of, 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 of kind of soil in the ocean that's going to make it better. And you think of, and that that whole aquaculture world's exploding. So if you're well situated, now if you're in tourism, trickier, different places like that. And that traditional, I'm going to start my own hotel or my own bar or my own restaurant or my own consultancy. Those may be a little trickier in certain places. So I think those are the two thoughts that I have is one is what stage are you at and are you ready to go? And the second be what kind of industry you're thinking of getting into. And I'll let Stephen jump in. Yeah, that's a great question. Norm, I really, really like that answer as well. So my two thoughts are this. One is, you know, oftentimes a lot of people hear about it's such a quote unquote buzzword now becoming an entrepreneur or going to do your own thing and having your own flag and doing it. And I highly respect that. You could say that's the journey that I'm on right now, growing our business. And really what it came down to, and I don't want to sound cliches, but it's understanding, okay, well, you know, what is the purpose behind that? Why do you truly want to do that? Is it going to be something that in 15 years you look back on and, and you really feel some disappointment if you don't bet on yourself right now and go in? You know, one of the phrases that we developed a purpose is, are you more aligned with me versus me or me plus me? Are you betting on yourself that me plus me? So if it's one of those things that you feel it and it's a pull, it's not a push, it's a pull every day. And you're like, man, I'm so excited about this. I have this idea or a multitude of ideas or investment opportunities. I would say bet on yourself and double down. If to Norm's point, you know, you have some foundational processes or systems there that you can fall back on. I think the fastest way for people to fail is just jumping ahead when they don't really understand why they're doing it. Now on the other side, and I speak with people about this all the time, because when we're working with team members and employees, we have these conversations where it's, oh, I have these great ideas and, and I want to be, you know, that, that catalyst for change. Well, there's also a word called an intrapreneur. There's an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. An intrapreneur is one who acts as an entrepreneur within a company. So this might be someone who starts off as, you know, an entry-level employee and works his or way, her way up to a management level and then sees, okay, well, I can create this change that I truly care about within this company. I'm bringing in all these innovative ideas they're working, some aren't, but some are sticking and it's showing that I can grow here. I'm going to be an entrepreneur because I love this company. I don't necessarily want to take on or need to take on all the risk of being an entrepreneur outside on my own. And, you know, to Norm's point, there's a lot of network there. There's a lot of growth opportunities. So again, to that second point of being an entrepreneur, that make, has to make sure that you as an entrepreneur are aligned with that company. Because if the company is going to be stunting someone's growth, that entrepreneurial spirit might get broken. That's the last thing we want. So if you're within a company that will help you accelerate your growth, I would say double down on being an entrepreneur until you feel as though, okay, I've kind of hit that glass ceiling. Um, but if not, I would say bet on yourself. So I would think, okay, 
entrepreneur, why do I truly want to do this? What's the risk and reward there? We're never going to truly know until we do it. Or can I be an entrepreneur where I am right now and accelerate with this company? That's great. And Jordan, if I could add one more thing, Connor, the, 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 we were talking about, but completely unrelated to our entrepreneur, but on your managerial side, and this just hit me. One of the anecdotes that I've learned, not anecdote, one of the things I've learned meeting a lot of these, these kind of CEO type people around Portland is that some of the, like some of the more traditional managerial functions like HR, for instance, there, these people are, are, are leaving um, like larger firms where they're just overwhelmed and stressed. Like COVID has been, if you're a VP of HR in a big company, as you could imagine, COVID has been horrendous. Like think of everything is just like, oh my God. And so they're now pivoting to these, to these other places that are desperate for them that are growing and now are, and are, and because they're desperate for recruitment and retention, the immediate thing they say is, hey, we need HR expertise, right? We this needs to be a great place to work where talent wants to stay, where engineers want to come and, you know, all these kind of things. So there's a lot of these people and maybe they're making a little bit less money. Maybe they're making the same, maybe it's a little bit more, but they're moving to an environment that's flexible and more kind of, as Steve would say, entrepreneurial, but they're leveraging that managerial. So that's also leaving, is a long answer here, leaving the gaps in some of those bigger places in the more traditional field. So if you are, and I'm guessing this may be where you're thinking, if you're motivated, and want to work because a lot of people don't want to work that hard right now. There are opportunities in both of those pathways all over the place if you're willing to do it. Because the average person right now wants to scale back, be more flexible, enjoy more of their life. Did anyone else have anything? I, I have a question. Oh, good. Dean Norm, this is uh, Pank here, Dr. Pank Agarwal. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a question for Stephen. Um, you you mentioned, and I understand uh, that the pursuit of self growth is eventually, you know, the pursuit of growth for society. They use use the word selfish there, which I understand in which context you did. But is there a way to align that objective with service? Because what stays behind when the individual is no longer in their position or no longer on the planet is the service that they have done. Uh, so at Maine, I've been here 16 years and, you know, service is one of the things that we do, but I actually extend the service to, to teaching, that the teaching that I do is part of service, where it's not like I go by the clock and I say, hey, I can't reply to a student mail at nine o'clock, just like Dean Norm has taken this great initiative and having this huddle at nine o'clock in the evening. So how to keep it short, how do you align that selfish pursuit with service to the greater outer? Absolutely, Dr. Pank, uh, that's a great question. And one that honestly comes up not as often as you think. Because when I say to be selfish about your personal happiness, what I mean there is you need to start taking ownership on how you're feeling about things and not expecting anyone else to change that. And I'm the exact same way. I don't want people to be selfish and saying, I'm greedy for money and so I'm going to do everything I can to make money. One of the keys that we focus on early on in our process is understanding the difference of success versus fulfillment. And fulfillment is really what you're speaking about and legacy and longevity of that. So if you're focused on success, right? I hate to use the example, but it's a very relevant one. I always say, you know, guys, why do we have billionaires who end up taking their own lives? 
It's because they've been focused on success, the amount of money we've made, the accolades, the awards. It's not a fault of their own. That's just how we've seen other successful people go. So we say at Purpose, we want to shift that focus from success. So forget the title, forget the amount of money you're making. Those are all, you know, finances are relevant. We do live in a world where that is needed. But when we focus on fulfillment, that is where being selfish about your personal happiness, your fulfillment comes into play. Because when you know how you're filling up your cup, you're able to pour into everyone else's at a bountiful rate rather than trying to pour in from an empty cup. And so that ties into, well, let's understand really why you want to be fulfilled. Why do you want to be successful? Why do you want to grow here? What is that not only doing for yourself? What is that doing for your family, your legacy, seven generations down, going across to a client? If this is a service-based business, we all know when we have a bad experience with a business, it's not typically the business, it's that person. So if that person understands why he or she is doing it, if they're focused on their fulfillment and they've taken time been selfish to work on themselves, now they can pour into that customer or client on the other side. Now they can pour into their family. And that has a positive transcending effect into the community and the service aspect like you're speaking about. So when I say that, I'm not for any means saying, you know what, Dr. Pang, just get selfish. Just take it all for yourself. Just forget everyone else. I'm saying- Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. Right, right. When we're talking about personal growth and personal development, let's start there so you can fill up your cup so you can pour into everyone else's in In fact, your philosophy is actually rooted in the writings of a great British economist, Adam Smith, if you remember, an inquiry into the causes and effects of wealth of nations written in 1700, where he said, you know, if an individual pursues their own, own best approach, uh, it, it is good for the wealth of the nation, you know? And of course, that was the basis of capitalism. And later on, you know, then the Karl Marx came and modified it. And there's a lot of different economic systems there. Uh, but 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 I appreciate your your bringing that uh, insight in because it it can very very clearly be interpreted in a different way. Absolutely, and that's a great question. And you said that gentleman's name is Adam Smith. Yeah, Adam Smith is is he wrote one of the first books in formal positive economics, followed by Alfred Marshall, and inquiry into the nature and cause and effects of wealth of nations. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's a famous, yeah, you, you should look it up. Yeah. I'll yeah. Look it. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, no, no problems. And, uh, and so many kudos to Dr. Norm, you know, for, you know, sharing, you know, his, uh, his thesis and some of the changes that he's bringing. It's pretty neat, actually. Thank you, Professor. I'm sitting outside. I got gloves on my hands, but that's my commitment. <laughs> we I very much appreciate it, and I know, uh, as you know, this gets spread far, so lots of people will see it, and they'll uh, they'll be very thankful. Too, Actually, so. if I may say, one of my uh, awesome students in this new semester is on the video, and John Leblanc, If you're not going to be shy, why don't you talk a little bit about the immense exposure that you bring in and and the experience that you have in the transportation industry? Don't be shy. I know John Livland is on the. Uh, yeah, he's no, I'm the here. Um, no, I am enjoying this semester. I've learned a lot so far here at the Maine Business School. Um, Mr. Miller, I got a question for you. What aspects of emotional intelligence have you brought forth in your uh, presentations to some of the people that you're uh, working with? That's a really great question. So, you know, we've touched upon 
one of them kind of just briefly here tonight in terms of detaching from your emotions. And when we dive into the conversations about leadership, we really, we believe that there's leadership and then there's navigation. At Purpose, we say that we're navigators here. And what that means, like I said, we're not life coaches. We're here to help reflect and guide you to both find your purpose and go on that path. So in terms of emotional intelligence, we'll speak quite often and teach upon, you know, how to obviously, first of all, understand your emotions and your thought processes, but really your habits. And so we've developed over 40 different tools on personal and professional development that we will provide when we do go into things such as emotional intelligence, because it can be, I'm not a neuroscientist, it's this things I study, but it can get a little complicating. So we have, you know, really dive into the ideas and the aspects of, okay, if you're having negative recurring thought processes, whether that's personally or professionally, we're going to provide you a tool and a teaching on how to break that and recondition your neural pathways to really be empowered and understand really why you're doing these things and how you're going to propel yourself forward. On the other side of that, when we're talking about leadership, as we all know, it can be very difficult at times as a team member, as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse, but to maintain our level of understanding and to detach from our emotions so we're not being reactive, rather we're being proactive. So one of the tools that we developed is called the wagon wheel of communication. And what that means is it shows in every single team. So when we say team, it's really think of a partnership. Partnership. There's a client, there's a company, a client team, company team, there's an account, an account health. And then there's four external factors that are literally propelling every single conversation or partnership. So in that whole tool, when we break that down, that is understanding how to, first of all, give effective communication, receive it, understand what that person is trying to say and how to intelligently, you know, navigate through that. Because when somebody's either really upset with us in person, we can't be reacting. So it's teaching people how to understand, all right, this is where this person's coming from in a personal professional setting. Here's where I stand on it. Let me try to see from a 30,000 foot view where they're coming from. Let me not take this personally. Let, let me not react right now because that will blow out any situation we're in and it's never going to serve us or them. And so when we're talking about emotional intelligence, it's very much situationally specific, if that made sense, but we'll cover the gamut of it because we've seen how the dichotomies of leadership are so strong. And if we don't know what's happening and we're not understanding where our team members are, where their thought processes are, where our clients are, we're never going to be able to connect effectively and continue this process forward. So emotional intelligence is, I think, oh, I don't want to say it's more important than IQ, but it's very heavily important because if we don't know what's happening within ourselves and others, it's going to be very hard to move forward. So let me know, John, if that helps answer that question.